Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Hi, friends. Welcome to our Sunday gathering. Uh, We are still meeting online right now, and we're looking towards maybe reopening in the next number of weeks, possibly. Um, We'll see. We're we're hopeful for what God will do in our county and within our church community. So until then, we're still doing this, and we'll probably still continue doing this once we move indoors. Uh, But we are just so pleased that you have joined us this morning for our worship time and uh, and a time in God's Word. Uh, we are in a series called Wilderness Narratives, where we've been looking at different people that the Bible talks about in a wilderness of sorts. So the last couple of weeks, we looked at Hagar, her story from Genesis chapter 16, and then her story again from Genesis chapter 21. Uh, and those were incredible messages. If you get a chance to listen into those perspectives that we were able to bring, uh, the first one Jason and I did together, and the second one I did on my own. Um, and today, obviously, I'm teaching on my own as well. Um, but we, I hope that you enjoy today's message as well, because today's wilderness message is on Moses, who, you know, when we think about the wilderness, most often we think about the Israelites wandering the wilderness, and Moses has a lot to do with that. But today I wanted to talk about uh, Moses' first experience in the wilderness, at least accounted for in the Bible. I'm sure he went into that physical space. And friends, the wilderness can be a physical place. It could be a place where we go to with intention, like I'm stepping into the wilderness as in a retreat or a pilgrimage or um, some sort of monk-like existence. Um, And that's something that we choose, right? to connect with God and by stripping away all these extra things and getting out of our normal routines. But the wilderness is also a place that can kind of happen to us as well, right? It might not be a physical place. It could be a place of lack and loss uh, through the death of somebody that we love, through estrangement or a loss of job or a loss of health or a loss of um, the way things were. And so in a lot of ways, we're all kind of in it. A wilderness of sorts. The wilderness could be a place of spiritual lack, of spiritual wandering, of wondering where God is in the midst of all the pain or suffering that you might be enduring. So there's a reason that we want to look at these narratives because I think they inform or can inform a lot of the ways that we interact with God, with each other, and even within our own selves and our own souls. It can be a place of disorientation where we wonder what we are, what our purpose is, if we'll survive this season of loss and lack, if you'll be the same person when you leave the wilderness as when you arrived. But it also is a place that could be a, of reorientation, not disorientation, but like we're coming back to a place or maybe even discovering something new about ourselves we didn't see before. Like we're able to listen to God differently in those spaces where everything is stripped away and There's less that is pulling at our attention. Sometimes we venture into new spaces we've never been before. And in those spaces, we can see God with has been there the entire time because we have new eyes to see what's happening around us. So this morning, I want to look at one of the most important figures in the Judeo-Christian narrative, and that is the story of Moses. 
and the story of God. So while you're turning to Exodus chapter three in your Bibles, um, I would love to give you some backstory for Moses. You know, most of us know the story of Moses because either we've seen that old movie from ages ago, <laughs> the 10 commandments, or we've seen like the Prince of Egypt or some other story like that. So the, the story of Moses is pretty familiar to a lot of people, but uh, Moses was born in Egypt during a very oppressive time, a uh, very forced labor uh, enslavement of the Jewish people um, in Egypt. And both of Moses' parents were from the tribe of Levi, meaning that they were a priestly people who had an opportunity and had a calling from God in a way to like lead the Hebrew people in the ways of God. So they, they, they were more responsible for carrying those stories, teaching the Hebrew people stories about the God who doesn't demand but invites who doesn't take but asks god's people to be a blessing to the other nations right the the levites revealed god's nature um and, and will eventually if we continue reading in the book of exodus we would eventually see that they created sacred spaces for people to worship god as well so during the time of moses's birth the bible says that egypt feared an uprising from the Hebrew people who had grown in number since they arrived during the time of Joseph. So they began to kill off the newborn boys. Moses' mother was hopeful for her son, we read. She placed him in this floating basket and sent him down the Nile River with a hope and a prayer and not sure what she would expect to happen. I mean, it's not the safest thing to send your infant down a river, right? But uh, this baby, this basket comes across a woman, Pharaoh's daughter, who is bathing in the river. She hears the baby cry and she catches the basket. She feels compassion well up in her for this baby. And she brings this baby into her home. She names the baby Moses, which means an Egyptian from the water. And then she raised this baby as her own, adopting Moses. Now, in the story goes that Moses' sister Miriam follows the basket along the way, probably just trying to make sure it wasn't going to go under or to figure out where it would head. And, and so when she sees this princess get Moses out of the water, she runs up to this princess and she says, Hey, um, you might need a Hebrew wet nurse to nurse this baby. Obviously, you're not prepared to nurse this baby, but I know a Hebrew wet nurse who just had a baby. And and so Moses' mother, of course, becomes the wet nurse. And I imagine that she moved into Pharaoh's daughter's home because a baby needs constant provision. At this time in history, a baby was weaned around three or four years old. So I can imagine that there were many quiet moments of storytelling of whispering of God's truths, of love and faithfulness, of singing the Hebrew songs while nursing in the stillness. So Moses grew up split between two people. He was Hebrew and he was Egyptian. But 
he also seems to be neither, right? Like he seems confused about his identity, where he fits, where he belongs, if he belongs at all. And the Bible shows him as a teenager leaving the palace and wandering into the city and wandering into the villages beyond. And he watches the Hebrew people being forced into this hard, backbreaking work. And he sees one of his people being beaten by an Egyptian and this this sense of justice wells up in Moses and he responded by murdering the Egyptian who was abusing the Israelite slave. That's a different kind of justice. And I wonder if that in that moment he like began to actually realize that he maybe he picked a side. In that moment, maybe he picked a side. He later saw two Hebrew men that were fighting each other and he's like, whoa, 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 hey guys, aren't we brothers? Aren't you brothers? Why would you fight each other? Again, like kind of stepping into this person of justice that he has. Um, and But unfortunately, the Hebrew people kind of reject Moses. Um, they want nothing to do with him. And, and it's then that he begins to understand that his entire identity as a Hebrew priest and as an Egyptian prince begins to crumble apart. He doesn't know who he is anymore. And this is incredibly disorienting for him, I'm sure. So he leaves. He left uh, Egypt. He fled away from Egypt towards an area called Midian, where he hoped to settle. Um, and, and Midian is like the, the Midianites were distant relatives of the Hebrews. So it made sense that he would go there. He probably felt like he could find some family there. But while he was there, he was noticing that like, these young daughters of a local priest were trying to draw water up from a well and they're getting harassed by these shepherds that were nearby. Um, which good thing that men don't harass women anymore, right? Good thing we grew out of that one. But anyway, this sense of justice still like bubbles up from within Moses and he came to their aid. He invited, he was invited back for dinner by their father and his chivalry was rewarded not only with a hot meal, but also with a wife. So, this man is like, thanks for saving my daughters. Why don't you take one as your wife? And so he marries Zipporah. They settle down and he becomes a shepherd. Um, and, and, and in his shepherding, he began to see himself as a foreigner in a foreign land. So he didn't know who he was. He didn't know where he belonged. He simply existed. Life for Moses was simple existence and it didn't seem like he had much purpose or much direction. He was no priest and he was no prince. And I'm not sure if he was okay with this existence or what, but God knew that there was more for Moses than simply existing. God had to convince Moses of more, right? And Moses needed to be open to such a request. And I think God, friends, I think God has the same for us. I think that God has more for us. Like you are not created to simply exist. You are created for good things, for a good purpose that goes beyond clocking in and out, goes beyond filling your gas tank or connecting on Zoom or making dinner. Not to knock the normal parts of life, like the common parts of life are absolutely incredible. And, you know, that brings us purpose as well. But if we're only existing 
and we're not seeking what God has for us, what the more parts, the, the purpose for this goodness that you are called to do, that you uniquely are called to do in the world, I think God wants to empower us in those spaces and places. And oftentimes it takes, it takes a wilderness, right? It takes like a disruption of the normal existence of our lives. It takes that to see what is already true about you right? Like think of the wilderness times that you've been in. What did you learn about who you are in the wilderness, who God is in that time of lack and disruption? Moses's story was fairly unique, I suppose. I mean, um, I guess all of our stories are fairly unique. Like he had this dual identity of Egyptian and Hebrew, and yet he felt like he had no identity um, he seemed to be very confused about who he was and what he was supposed to do. And and I look at all these intersectionalities of Moses' life and even in our own, like all these different intersectionalities we have within ourselves of like our gender and our um, relationship status and our economic status and uh, and our race and our ethnicity and our religious upbringing, our religion that we consider today, our spirituality, all these different like forms of our intersectionalities. Moses had quite a number of them, right? He didn't seem to think these intersections of his life were necessarily helpful for himself or even helpful for others. He was around 50 or 60 years old by the time we get to this burning bush that we're going to read about in a minute here. I know this is a long intro, but I think it's important to get to where we're going. There's this like this sort of nomadic and foreign displaced life that he had known for a long time. So he left the palace when he was maybe a late teenager, early 20s, and he doesn't encounter God in the wilderness until he's about 50 or 60. So quite a lot of time has passed. He is Moses and he exists. And this is where we pick up. So it says in Exodus 3, verse 1, and I'll read to verse 4 right now. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So already we see that his existence has to do with somebody else's purpose. He continued on in the life that his father-in-law took. It says, um, he led his flock to the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or is also called Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not burning up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I look at this story and I think 50 years, like 50 years and just now God is approaching Moses. Where was God all along? Why did it take God so long? 50 years. Maybe Moses needed enough time away from Egypt to, like away from his former life to gain a different perspective in the wilderness. Maybe, um, I think, I think Moses, I think God was with Moses all along, but maybe Moses never opened his eyes to see that God was there. 
there's this uh, story of a prophet, another Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And Elijah ran into the wilderness. He had like all this trauma that he was running away from. And and he and he's in this space of loss and lack. And he's like, I don't even know what I believe anymore, where to go. But he ends up going to the same mountain. And it's 500 years later than Moses is experiencing. But he knew that Moses experienced God's presence on this mountain. And maybe he could experience God's presence on this mountain as well. And he goes up there and he seeks God. He sought God on this mountain and he's expecting God to be in certain spaces. So this like thunder comes down and there's an earthquake and there's a fire and God wasn't to be found. And then Elijah leaned back, almost disappointed that God wasn't in the big things. Aren't we all? And his ears pricked to hear God in a whisper, something that could have easily been missed until going into the wilderness for some time. Those spaces of silence, solitude, lack, disorientation can allow our ears to listen to voices, our own or God's, that has been with us all along. Moses had been living his whole life with the stories of God's love and faithfulness seeped into his body while being nursed by his mother. He had priestly DNA in his bloodstream. The, the stories of God's love was woven into his very body before birth. From generations back, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of his fathers before him. And yet he just existed without stepping into his purpose until God made a grand gesture to get his attention attention. What does he say? I'm here. <laughs> Moses, Moses, here I am. Here I am. God came down. God was with Moses. God was with us. That sounds incarnational. God in the ground, dirt, life. Let's keep reading. It says in verse five, God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, in case you missed it, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I love that point of your father, the sense of like his father's story. Moses' father's story is his own story. These generations that have come before us that have influenced, guided, directed so much of who we are. God asked Moses though to take off his sandals. That's an interesting request. It's one that came up in Bible study this week. We were wondering, well, what does that mean? I think God was saying that Moses was finally ready to see what this earth is for. He's ready to understand the holiness of everything. This holy ground, Kadosh, Kodesh Adama. The first humans lovingly created by God was called Adama, Adam, dirt ground. 
God was letting Moses know that God was present even in the wilderness, dusty clay, earth, Kodesh Adama, holy ground. The sandals must be removed. What separates us from God must be removed. What we receive our identity from must be removed so we can fully understand who God has made us and what God has made us for. Now, friends, sandals weren't simply foot protection. They had all sorts of connotations to them. They symbolized purity, property, social contracts, uh, they, rec- they, they represented social status where you fell, like your shoes, your sandals meant something back then. And it still does today, right? If I preached this sermon and you saw me not wearing my pajamas, because isn't that all what we wear nowadays anyway? But if you saw me preaching a sermon and I'm up front and, and in a sanctuary and, I, and I'm preaching about justice for the poor and compassion for the marginalized and I'm wearing Louboutins on my feet or I'm re- wearing like Versace or Gucci, what speaks louder about my self-identity? Like if I drive, if, if I like drove a Porsche around with a Jesus fish slapped on the back, which, you know, you don't put a Jesus fish on a Porsche, but regardless, if I did that, what speaks louder about my self-identity? There's a professor, Old Testament professor by the name of Portier Young, and he's from Duke, and he says that in New Kingdom Egypt, a pair of sandals could be purchased for the price of a sack of grain. Though not strictly a luxury, footwear was nonetheless an investment. Sandals of higher status individuals were more artfully made, sometimes adorned with precious materials and other decorations. Sandals discovered in the tomb of Tut-Ankh-Amon bore the image of foreign captives upon the insole proclaiming that the king's every step, that with the king's every step, Egyptian royal power over the peoples and nations his armies had subdued. So my goodness, for an Egyptian prince to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground was a form of identity making, right? For God to tell Moses to take off his sandals in the wilderness. It was God's way of helping remove all other identities that Moses attempted to assume. It was God stripping away anything that was left so God could build something new on the good foundation that was already there. His heart for justice. Moses' desire for humility. Like in the wilderness, Moses could listen differently to the voice that was always with him, his voice and God's voice becoming one in the wilderness. He found his center, his purpose, his identity in the wilderness. And it was on that holy ground, Kodesh Adama, that Moses stood with naked, exposed, uncovered feet, where he began to understand a deeper truth that God had known all along. His odd intersectionality of Levite priest and Egyptian prince would become the building blocks God would use to remind the people of God's faithful presence that had been with the people all along. Friends, there are certain sectionalities of your life, intersectionalities of your life that you feel like 
well, why did God allow this to happen? Why did I come from this family? Why did I experience this trauma? Why did this experience, this, this horrible thing happen to me? And I, I don't always have an answer for that. For somebody like Moses who experienced abandonment and adoption and um, identity crisis left and right, uh, man, he tried to figure out who he was all the time. And we wonder like, okay, so why, why would God allow that to happen? And it took what, like 70 years to get to that space? I don't know all the time, friends, but I do know that God is with you in it. That God has made you so uniquely with all these different aspects of your life. And God looks at you with deep love and affection and says, friend, take off your sandals. The ground below you is holy because everything is holy and I have made you holy. So friends, may you see that in your life. May you grasp a hold of the God who has been with you all along. And in this wilderness time of lack and loss, may you see your unique purpose and know that God is with you in it. Grace and peace to you. Amen.